I invite you to turn with me to Galatians chapter 5. I'll be reading for our text this morning, Galatians 5, 16 through 26, but we'll be focusing on 24 through 26. Galatians chapter 5, beginning in verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Let us pray. Father, I thank you for your holy word. It is true, and you use it to sanctify us. And I ask that you would do that now, that you would help us by your Spirit to fix our attention on these verses, and we would understand them, not just what they mean, but we would understand that you are calling us to live by them. Help each one of us to receive these words with sobriety and in faith and a readiness to obey. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like you to consider for a moment what your life would look like if it were full of the following, if it was full of love, doesn't matter who's around you. You can have the most annoying and provocative person around you, and your disposition is to love them. If your life is full of joy, doesn't matter what happens around you. The worst tragedy can come in your life but you have an abiding joy and contentment because Jesus Christ is your Lord. If your life was full of peace, it doesn't matter who's against you, who is attacking you, you know that you have peace with God, and because you have peace with God, you have an abiding peace in your heart. If your life is full of patience, 
doesn't matter how long you have to wait in line at the grocery store, you're going to wait patiently. Or at the DMV. Or for an answer to prayer over a deep grief in your life. You confidently trust the goodness of God. Or if your life is full of kindness, doesn't matter what others do to you. Your disposition is to be kind to them or goodness. Your whole disposition is to consider not your own welfare, but the welfare of others around you. Or if your life were full of faithfulness, you're not going to quit three quarters of the way through this race or nine tenths you're going to run this race until the end. Or gentleness. Your ego never gets in the way. You always consider others more important than yourself. Your self-control. Nothing other than what the Lord Jesus Christ commands of you will control you. That's self-control. Does that life sound good to you? Or does it sound intolerable? I hope it sounds good to you. I wonder what you were thinking as you consider those things being displayed in your life. Notice for a moment what I didn't mention your life would be full of, or for you to consider it being full of. I didn't mention all of your bills being paid. I didn't mention that your spouse would treat you perfectly, or your children treat you perfectly, or your boss or your parents treat you perfectly. I didn't mention that you get all the recognition that you think you deserve. I didn't mention that you get the salary that you think you deserve, or the applause or approval you think you deserve. I didn't mention that you have the perfect house, perfect car. I didn't mention that you had the perfect president or government. But what if in this broken world with broken people, you were full of the fruit of the Spirit? If you spend any time considering the fruit of the Spirit, you might think something along these lines. You might think, well, that's all fine and good, but I'm not all that loving. I'm not all that patient, kind, full of goodness, joyful. And you might think a question like this, well, how do I do these things? How do I see more of the fruit of the Spirit in my life? That's the goal of this message. You know what the fruit of the Spirit is. The list is not all that hard to understand. In this text in Galatians, it gives us some help for how to see the fruit of the Spirit displayed in our life. Now, there might be a wrong line of thinking that you could have, you could think, because this is the fruit of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, it's something that He exclusively does in my life, and so all I need to do is go to bed, let the fruit grow, and I'll wake up a more loving person. 
And if I don't wake up with all this fruit dripping off of me, it's not my fault. It's the Spirit's fruit anyway. It's not exactly right. The Scripture again and again lays out for us theological truths that are to affect the way that we live and conduct our lives. For example, in Romans chapter 12, after Paul outlining all the glories of the gospel, Paul says, by the mercies of God, offer yourselves as a living sacrifice. There's a response to what God tells us. In this case, The good news is that Christ has died for our sins, risen, ascended into heaven, and to those who believe, he sends from heaven his spirit to live in his people. But now because we have the spirit, we are commanded in verse 25, let us also keep in step with the spirit. So how are we to see the fruit of the spirit in our lives? And I think that this text, verses 24 through 26, helps us with some ideas about what will manifest the fruit in our lives. Let me just give the outline to you. It's a little bit wordy, so you can just kind of keep the general principle in mind. But what this is calling us to do is to know that if you belong to Christ, then your flesh, which is opposed to the Spirit, has been crucified. And if that's the case, you will have all the opportunity in the world to bear the fruit of the Spirit. Well, if that's the case, you need to really evaluate if you live by the Spirit. And if you do live by the Spirit, then you need to heed the call to keep in step with the Spirit. And as you keep in step with the Spirit, you need to steer away from conceit. This is not necessarily an A, B, C, D. If you follow these steps, then the fruit of the Spirit is going to be there. But these are things for your consideration to evaluate against your life so that you can consider how you're doing as you bear the fruit of the Spirit in your life. Let me give you a little bit of a context of where this falls in the book of Galatians so we don't just jump in without understanding the flow of the argument of this letter. Paul, the author of the book of Galatians, has brought up for our consideration the Holy Spirit, particularly in chapter 5, though he shows up all throughout the book, but he brings up the Holy Spirit to show that the whole gospel is a superior way of living to any other way of living. And the primary adversary or um, alternate way of living to the, living by the Spirit is to live by the flesh. And that's what the people at Galatia are doing. The churches of the people in Galatia are seeking to live by the flesh. They want, by their own efforts, to keep the law. But as they do that, they will find that they actually bear the works of the flesh, which have been listed out for us in Galatians 5.17 and 18. The gospel that Paul has been proclaiming to the Galatians is summarized in chapter 1 verses 3 through 5. He says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins. We know that part. Christ died on the cross for our sins, but here's the ultimate purpose for it. 
to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul is presenting to us a gospel that not only forgives us of our sins, but lifts us out of this evil age so that we'd live lives that are transformed by the power of the Spirit. The goal of Christ delivering us, or dying for our sins, is to deliver us from this present evil age. And the way that that happens is that the Spirit is given to us so that we might live lives like Christ. But for those who insist on living their lives without God, you'll find that you are limited to your own capacities, your own abilities, your own desires, and your own works. And what that produces are the works described in chapter 5. But it's the Spirit who's been given to us who produces us in us joy and peace and love. We must know that the Spirit in our lives is a pure gift. He cannot be earned. He's part of the good news of God's grace to us. God forgives us by the cross of Christ. He gives us a spirit by the work of Christ. And we receive these gifts not by works, but by faith. That's why Paul repeatedly in the book of Galatians says that we are justified. That means declared innocent or righteous by God, not by works, but by faith in Christ Jesus. We trust in God and he gives us these gifts. But these gifts are not meant to be misused or misunderstood. If you look back at chapter 2, verse 14, we see an encounter with the apostle Peter, who certainly knew the gospel, knew the promise of forgiveness of sins, reconciliation with God, the presence of the Spirit. But in chapter 2, verse 14, Paul had seen Peter and some other Jews doing things that were inappropriate. And he says in 2.14, when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, he spoke to Cephas. There is a right response and a right manner of living because of the gospel that we've been given. And likewise, because we've been given the Spirit, there is a right conduct and a right way of living because we have the Spirit. We don't get the Spirit by works, but because the Spirit has come into our life, there is a certain way that we must now live. We must have the fruit born in our lives. So that's the context. Paul is showing us now more about the Spirit who has been given to us freely by God that is meant to elevate our lives to a way of living that is superior to all other ways of living. Not only superior, but necessary. So how do you live a life in the Spirit and bear the fruit of the Spirit? Well, first, know that if you belong to Christ, then your flesh has been crucified. Again, verse 24 of chapter 5 says, Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. This is an important step because if you don't know this in your heart, you will be thinking that there may be two equal forces in your life, the force of the flesh and the force of the spirit. 
And you think that you could be equally inclined to follow either one of those. And it's just a flip of the coin as to which one you may follow today. Well, maybe today I'm just going to follow the flesh because the flesh dwells so much in me. Well, maybe today I'll live by the Spirit and you become a little bit like Jekyll and Hyde, back and forth. Verse 24 says that those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Not equal forces in you. One has been crucified, and the other lives in you. What does Paul mean when he says those who belong to Christ Jesus? It's a wonderful phrase, It's much better than belonging to the devil. As Jesus said, your father is the devil to those who did not believe in Christ. Those who belong to Christ Jesus are those who have been purchased by his blood. Those who have been made right with God because of Christ's cross and have received him by faith. When you come to faith in Christ, You do not become some free agent that's been set free from sin and now you can float around this universe however you want because you're forgiven. No, it's not that way at all. When Christ comes and he dies for you, you belong to him. He is your Lord and you are his slave. You belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, you have crucified The flesh. What is this flesh that we keep talking about? Flesh is basically your life apart from God and against God. Paul says in 5.17, the desires of the flesh are against the spirit. The flesh is against God and his ways. People who live by the flesh could be illustrated by that generation around Noah when God looks at the people of the earth and he sees that the thoughts and intentions of their heart were only evil continually. That is a people who are given over to their own ways and separated from God and have no th- nothing of God's spirit in them and all they do all the time is evil. That's your flesh. Separated from God, it is evil. It is inclined only to do what you want and never to do what God wants. Amazingly enough, the flesh can look good to other human beings. You can be in the flesh and look like you are a good person, but you're so full of yourself and have nothing to do with God that all of your inclinations are not towards God, they're towards yourself, which is only evil then even if you help the old lady across the street. That's the flesh. One definition puts it that all parts of the body constitute a totality known as flesh, which is dominated by sin to such a degree that wherever flesh is, all forms of sin are likewise present, and no good thing can live in the flesh. 
And this anti-God thing has passions and desires and works. It says in verse 24 that you have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Your flesh desires things. It wants things. And it wants things that God doesn't want for you. This idea is encapsulated in the 10th commandment, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife. It's the same thing as desire. Covet is to desire. It's the same idea used by Jesus who says that whoever looks with lust or desire has already committed adultery in his heart. That's the flesh wanting something that is illegal in God's universe. And so your flesh isn't just full of works. It's not just the, you see the flesh when you go off and do something wrong. Your flesh is active when it is desiring things that are wrong. It goes down to the very heart. That's the flesh. And it says that those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. As to suggest that the whole of it is lifted up on a cross and nailed there. This imagery of crucifixion is a gruesome one. We've hopefully thought about what it meant when Christ was crucified. Crucifixion was reserved for non-Roman citizens who committed some crime against the state and were committed and were considered enemies against the state. It was a brutal form of execution in which the victim would be strapped to wood and lifted up, not too high from the ground, but suspended above the earth to die an excruciating death as they suffocated. They were put there for public shame and mockery and an example of what not to do. It says that those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh. This is to say that if you have come to Christ, you can't come to him clinging to your sin. Jesus says, repent and believe in the gospel. And when you come to Christ, you let go of your sin and you come and you cling to Christ. And I take this as another imagery of that repentance that you have left behind your old way of living in such a decisive manner that it could be said that you've taken your old self and you have put it on a cross so that it is decisively removed from your life. Of course, it should be this way. Because Paul says in Galatians 2, verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, he just means in a human life right there. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. 
your previous way of living is so dealt with that it is as if it has been crucified with Christ. In fact, in Romans 6, you are to reckon it as crucified with Christ. One pastor helpfully identifies three elements of crucifying your flesh. He says that crucifixion is pitiless, shows no mercy. As you think about having come to Christ and belonging to him, you need to regard your old manner of living as so anti-God that you show it no mercy. It's as if you delight in taking out the spikes and pinning it to the cross so that it might writhe in pain there. You hate that old way of living so much. Crucifixion is painful as well. This does not mean it's easy for you to regard your previous way of living as crucified, Oh, we want to cling on to those things. We want to cling to our own old way of living. It delights us in some way to hold on to it. It can be painful to remove those sins from our lives. And third, crucifixion is decisive. And this is the thing that really should encourage us. Crucifixion did not bring instant death to its victim but it was decisive that that victim would die. And that's the way you need to live. Understanding that when you come to Christ, you so identify with him that your old self, your old way of living is pinned to the cross there. And when you try to live in the flesh again, it's like you try to get up and give that victim CPR on the cross. Why would you do that? It's there to die. Let it die and be eaten by the birds. And this first step is so crucial to bearing fruit in your life. Because you take this reality that if you belong to Christ, you have crucified your flesh along with its passions and desires. You take that reality, if you know that, you take that into every circumstance in your life. Every scenario every relationship should be dominated by the fact that the old way of living has been crucified. Every friendship, every hour of work, every hour of parenting, every hour of being parented should be dominated by the fact that your old way of living has been crucified. And that's like removing the weeds from the garden so that now the fruit of the Spirit can start to be shown in your life. So that's the first idea, is to know that if you belong to Christ Jesus, you have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. The second help for how to live a life bearing the fruit of the Spirit is to take a moment And evaluate if you live by the Spirit. Verse 25 begins, if we live by the Spirit. Some translations might say since, it's actually if. It is given to us so that we would take a moment and consider if we live by the Spirit. 
To say that you live by the Spirit means that the whole of your spiritual life is credited to the fact that the Spirit has come into your life and given you life from the dead. We used to be dead in our sins, alienated from God. But if you have a real relationship with God the Father through Jesus Christ, it is because the Spirit is present in your life. In Galatians chapter 4, verse 6, Paul says, And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. If you possess the Spirit, you possess a real life, a real spiritual life that truly loves God, knows him. Jesus in John chapter 6, verse 63 says, It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. Jesus tells us that our flesh is no help at all. Do you realize that only the Spirit of God can give you true life, which is a love for God and a real relationship with Him? Do you know that? Do you credit the Spirit with your relationship with God? Romans chapter 8, verses 1 and 2 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Are you free from condemnation? Do you know that you bear no guilt before God the Father? That's because the Spirit has set you free. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 5-6 through 6 says, Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Are you living by the letter of the law? Or are you living by the new covenant which gives you the Holy Spirit? If you experience the forgiveness of sins, then you live by the Spirit. So this condition in chapter 5, verse 25 is important if we live by the Spirit. And it begs the question, do you live by the Spirit? Do you know the blessings of a relationship with God? If that's the case, then you have the Spirit in your life. Have you been born again? Then you've been born of the Spirit. Has your life been made new? Then you have the Spirit of life. Do you recognize that you are not what you once were? You may not be who you want to be, but you're not, you're not who you once were. That's the case. The Spirit has come and brought transformation in your life. This very day, do you live by the Spirit? If the answer is no, you cannot bear the fruit of the Spirit. If the answer is yes, again, the garden has been weeded and you have opportunity to bear the fruit of the Spirit. Well, here's a third idea for helping us to bear fruit of the Spirit. Here's what you need to do. This is really complicated. Keep in step with the Spirit. Keep in step with the Spirit. If we live by the Spirit, Paul says, let us also keep in step 
with the Spirit. If you live by the Spirit, then there is an appropriate way that you are to live. That is to keep in step with the Spirit. Another translation puts it this way, behave in accordance with the Spirit. Another one says, follow the Spirit's leading in every part of your lives. It's in the present tense that means that it's to be a daily and constant endeavor to keep in step with the Spirit. And you don't need to overthink this. This is not waiting moment by moment for some whispering in your ear about whether you should go when the light turns green because you're not sure if the Spirit wants you to go. It's not that kind of keeping in step with the Spirit. It's not necessarily thinking and waiting for a whispering in your ear about whether you should wear certain clothing today or whether you should get together with somebody for lunch or not. That's not the kind of keeping in step with the Spirit that has in mind where it's this kind of shadowy, ambiguous, hard to figure out what the Spirit is doing, and I just need to feel this inner prompting about where I need to go and what I need to do. That is not keeping in step with the Spirit. You don't need to overthink this. Keeping in step with the Spirit is being led with, by the Spirit where you know He already is taking you. Well, how do you know where He already is taking you? Well, I've got good news for you. He's given you a list. He's taking you to be loving and joyful and peaceful and patient, etc. You want to know where the Spirit is leading, where He's walking, and you want to follow in line? Well, He's already told you. He has already revealed that to you. It's important to know that the Holy Spirit never leads you to fits of anger, sexual immorality, jealousy, envy, strife, dissensions. He never leads you that direction. So if you find yourself participating in sexual immorality or in some sort of argument that is not edifying and unhelpful or you are experiencing jealousy or fits of anger, you better know right away that you are not keeping in step with the Spirit. That's not where the Spirit is walking right now. You need to keep in line with where the Spirit is leading. This may sound overly simple, but that's way better than being overly complex. How discouraging it would be that if you were told that you need to keep the fruit of the Spirit and then you're given a 1,426-page manual with blueprints that are as difficult as a Saturn V rocket, you would have no hope. No, it's pretty simple. The Spirit is always going the direction of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And so that's always the direction that you need to be going. We are told that we live by the Spirit. That means we possess life through Him. And now we are told to keep in step with the Spirit. Let me give you maybe a practical illustration. 
might be a shock to you, but occasionally I wake up grumpy, ready to just rip somebody's head off. Yeah, I know. It's hard to believe, isn't it, Trudy? <laughs> what do you do? I'm sure you can come up with your own scenarios. What do you do? The first thing to do, confess that to the Lord. I have a desire in my life that is antithetical to the presence of the Spirit in my life. That part of me I need to acknowledge before God has been crucified. Let me not take it up again or give it any kind of life. So I pray. I confess. And then I ask for help. Let's say, Father, you are not leading me to be grumpy. You are leading me to be loving. I cannot do this on my own, but I know you've given me your spirit. Help me by your spirit to be loving. I don't want to love anybody in this world today. But I'm supposed to love everybody. Help me. And I might think about some promise of scripture that God gives us, like he who asks wisdom, God will give it. And so I trust that God is going to help me. And then what do you do? You can't stay grumpy in bed all day, so you got to get up and do something. And in God's help, trusting that he, by his spirit, is leading you to love, you go and you love. Now, it's not just a pick yourself up by your own bootstraps kind of thing, but I trust that you will find that as you plead with God for the help to love, knowing that the spirit is always leading you towards that end, he will help you. He delights to answer those prayers. He delights to give help. And I find that my heart is transformed. Not that I become Jesus necessarily in those moments, but that I had no ambition or no desire to love, but God has helped me and I actually am willing to do it now. Where does that come from? Well, not from me per se, but from the Spirit. But am I responsible to obey the Spirit's leading? 100% I am. If you're just waiting for the fruit in your life to just pop out of nowhere, you're missing every opportunity the Lord gives you because he gives you opportunities from the moment you wake up to the moment you go to bed to bear the fruit of the Spirit. Every day is full of opportunities for fruit to be displayed in your life. and also an opportunity to show that you are trying to resurrect that flesh in your life. But that flesh has been crucified. The Spirit dwells in his people. It shouldn't be a fair battle here. So go to the Lord. Ask for his help. Christ Jesus is the ultimate example for us about the fruit of the Spirit Do you see the way that his whole life bore that fruit? When he was tired and hungry and wanted to get away from the crowds, and yet the crowds followed him, he had compassion on them, like sheep without a shepherd, and fed them. Did you see that while he was on the cross and hung there, being tortured, which seems like a pretty good opportunity to lash out in anger, he said, Father, forgive them. 
You see, the very man who denied him, Peter, which would be an opportunity for Jesus to give him a tongue lashing, Jesus gently restores and forgives. You see, the one who created the whole world riding on a donkey in humility. Opportunities abound for us every day from the moment you wake up until the time you go to bed to bear the fruit of the Spirit in your life. Don't miss them. I think I'll save the final tip for next time. May God help us to bear the fruit of His Spirit in our lives. He's given us His Spirit Now we need to see the fruit. Let's ask him for help. Let's pray. Father, first of all, thank you that in Christ Jesus we have our sins forgiven and all of our debts paid. And not only that, but you have taken our flesh and nailed it to the cross and all the debts owed hung there. We thank you. Not only have you forgiven us, but you've given us your very spirit to give us life and to dwell in us. Father, what a gift. And I fear that we take that for granted or just don't understand it as well as we ought to. But your word speaks so clearly about it. Well, Lord, forgive us for neglecting your word and meditating on it and thinking about the presence of your spirit in our lives. Would you make us more aware of that reality? And I would ask you, Father, that as you give us opportunities to love and be joyful and patient, that we would take those opportunities knowing our flesh has been crucified and knowing you've given us your spirit. Oh God, help us. Help us be humble before you and admit our weakness in ourselves and to ask you for help. And Father, I pray even today that as we encounter circumstances where we cannot be loving on our own, which is every moment, that we would cling to you. We would abide in Christ Jesus. And it says that if we are not in Christ, we can do nothing So help us to abide in him and abide in his word. Help us to bear fruit. Father, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.